Welcome everyone to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college. And it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience. And I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. So sometimes the experience in college is smooth sailing, and sometimes there are moments of crisis, and those moments of crisis can be opportunities to grow. They can also feel like insurmountable challenges, whether it's you know the worst group project ever or a sick parent at home or a bad grade. There are all kinds of challenges that students face, and luckily all kinds of support they can use to get through those crises. So I'm super excited today to talk to Rachel Dean, who has a really interesting kind of crossover background, currently the manager of portfolio and operations for the digital and design team at Thriven, and previously the director of grad admissions and student engagement at IIT's Institute of Design or ID. And, you know, this topic of like helping students get through a crisis, I think is so valuable and I'm super excited, Rachel, for today's conversation. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Elliot. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So for 17 years, I worked, as you mentioned, as director, graduate admission and student engagement at the Institute of Design, part of the Illinois Institute of Technology. And there I was part of the student process from admission all the way to commencement. So I was there for application processing and some of those early conversations around what makes ID a good place for a student all the way to calling out the names at commencement and everything in between, including academic affairs, academic counseling, coaching, and administrative tasks. It's a lot Currently, of hats. Yeah. It's a lot of hats, a continued labor of love and an opportunity to connect people to other people, places, things, and opportunities. But now I get to be the manager of portfolio and operations for the digital and design team, which is amazing because I work with people who were former students of mine. So to get to see cool. them from their early process at getting into design school and now being practicing designers in the workplace is a treat. And on top of that, I have the opportunity to work in operations again connecting people, places, and things, but responsible for cultivating a culture, our design culture here on the digital and design team, as well as cultivating community and just the overall health and wellness of the team. It's a tremendous opportunity, one that I lean into every day. And I'm super excited about this opportunity to talk to you about a bit of a crossover between being a part of the this world of design student and then that transition from design student to designer working in the workplace and how there's some similarities, especially around the idea of crisis management. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, you know, these common themes about, you know, people and culture and community and support and connection. We were talking earlier at ID, you were thinking about how do you kind of like take care of administration to enable education? And now at Thrivent, you're like, how do you take care of like operations to enable execution and people be able to do their job and bring their best self? And yeah, I think it's really 
it's really interesting. And I think, you know, of course there's highs and lows and I'd love to hear a story, you know, to make it concrete for folks, you know, about a crisis you helped someone through in higher ed. Sure. So what comes to mind immediately is a student who was an international student and so very far away from home since the Institute of Design is in Chicago and had a parent who's undergoing medical treatments. And they felt conflicted about being at school and not being home to help take care of that parent. And as a result, their mind was divided. And that ended up making it so that their work and the execution of their work became divided. And they found themselves in a situation where they were afraid to go to their team members because they felt they had failed them. They had missed some meetings and missed some assignments. So they felt like they were also letting the instructor down. They were having issues coping mentally because they were drained in the thinking about that sick parent, as well as letting down the team and then also the instructor. They felt like they were disorganized. And so some days they didn't get out of bed and on and on. And so they found themselves at a deficit. And I noticed that I wasn't seeing them a lot. The ID community is pretty close and the school is big but small. And team members were coming to me saying that they were missing seeing the person. So that was also good that the community was big and small enough where it mattered if you were missing. And so I reached out to the student and requested a meeting and sat down with them just to see what was going on. And so they started to share all of the things that were happening in their life. And, and they felt like they wanted to leave school because they just felt like it was insurmountable and they weren't going to be able to catch up. And so what I did was listen. I provided them resources to the Health and Wellness Center because I am not a licensed counselor. I do have certification in coaching, but that is not the same as mental health coaching. And so right. provided the resources that they needed, connected them with that center, physically walked them down to the center to make sure that they you know, went to the appointment. They were willing, of course, to go. And then followed up with them later on in the week. And we sat down and we mapped out a plan for how they were going to be able to catch up and succeed. And it took maybe two or three sessions with me following up after those two to three sessions to make sure that they stayed on track with the plan that we were working out. And the plan just started as simply as writing on my whiteboard, you know, what are all of the things that they felt were slipping through the cracks? And so we wrote out all of those things. Think of a mind map. And we had four quadrants, one for school, one for their personal life, one for what was happening back home in their home country, and then one for their team members personally, as opposed to team with school. And so what we did was we mapped out, you know, which classes were the ones that they felt like they were missing out or they felt like they were in danger of having to drop or be dropped from the class and how we were going to get back over there to the right side of things. And the first thing was to hold themselves accountable. Yes, this is happening. Yes. I played a role in this, even though I have some things happening in my personal life that feel outside of my control. But now that I'm sitting here 
you know, with Rachel, how am I going to get past that? And so we wrote out, you know, a map of, of how to tackle these things. And the first thing to do was, one, to go to the health and wellness center because they felt like mentally they could not deal. Two was to notify the instructor and their team members to let them know that they had a crisis back home that they needed to deal with, but that they were still committed to doing the work. And then how were they going to be able to tap back into that? And after the series of meetings that we had and the follow-up, they were willing to do the work. And and that's so important that they're willing to do the work. It's not enough to just develop the plan, but they have to be able to want to do the work. And that can be hard with mental health issues going on at the same time, but it's not insurmountable. It is possible to come back over that room. Well, I love that story. And I love that the student got over the hump and I, I was taking notes uh, as you were going. And it seems like there's some key moments, you know, first is the noticing, you know, being part of a community that's small enough or where, you know, you have the relationships or even the technology such that you can notice like a student in crisis who may not, you know, be raising their hand just yet. And then the outreach, then the listening, then the referring. And I love the story of the warm handoff. The like, I'm going to walk you to I'm going to walk you to health services. I'm going to walk you to counseling. Then the mapping out the plan and the four quadrant plan. Love that. You know, as a consultant, there isn't like a two by two matrix that I'm not happy to see. So, (laughs) you know, that's always a good day when you can have a two by two matrix, but then the following up. So I wonder from that, is that the process you always go through or like, how does it change for different kinds of, of crises? That's pretty much my process. But of course, there is adjustment depending on the type of crisis. For example, if we take that same stressed out feeling, I can't overcome this scenario and apply it to my current workplace, Mm -hmm. there is a way to do that same method, but in the corporate structure. So as it happens, I have had a colleague who... I'll step back a second and say that prior to the size that we have gotten to, we are about 100 members now. I have had one-on-one meetings with absolutely everybody on the team. I meet about once a quarter with them for about 30 minutes each. That's a lot of meetings for a lot of people. And it takes about four to six weeks to get through all of those people. And during that time, I'm listening for how well they are able to execute their job, how they're doing personally, first and foremost, and then what are any obstacles or any additional support that they need as as far as connectivity, since we're a fully remote team, or software applications, things that they need to do their job every day, and then how well they're getting along on the team. And it's informational. It's not that I'm doing this so that now I can go in and say, hey, so-and-so needs this and this is going down in the review that you're not doing that very well. It's informational to understand the, the type of things that we have in place to provide the support that individuals need to foster a healthy working environment, right? So we've had situations where individual feels like they have everything they need to do the job, but perhaps are suffering from imposter syndrome 
you know, where mm-hmm. you've been hired to do this job, but clearly they didn't really mean me to do this job because I don't think I've got what it takes. So helping people through that, I go through that myself <laughs> in the role that I have. It's a big job and it requires more people. And as I'm working my way into the job, just being two years in, there are times where I feel like, were they sure when they hired me? I don't know if I can do this. But yeah, everybody goes through a little bit of that, right? Yeah. Everybody goes through a little bit of that. But when I've had it on the team, just take a step back for the person, just like we did with the student. Have the individual take a step back in the workplace and say, okay, is this just I'm nervous about the work that's coming or the work that I'm doing right now? Is it because it's new? Because on a team that's only three years old total, everything's new, right? And so them feeling like, oh my goodness, this I don't know if I can do this, is mostly because it's new. So it's never been done before at this company and we're the ones rolling it out. It's a tremendous opportunity, but it also comes with the weight of the responsibility of being the ones that are pioneering the work. And so when we're able to tease apart what's real and what we're just imagining, we're able to provide, we, me, able to provide some talking points for them to help them understand that everyone goes through that. How are we going to put this in a place of reality where we're not just being fanciful in our thinking about whether or not we are qualified. We're absolutely qualified. That's why we're here in the role. So how are we going to do the work where we don't stumble along with this imposter syndrome? And so thinking about the four quadrants that I mentioned before, you know, what's real and then I'm dating myself on what's Memorex and how am I contributing to the team? Am I all in? Am I being a silent observer on the side? What should I be doing versus what I am doing? And then am I putting too much on my plate? Am I trying to work through this imposter syndrome in a way that is detrimental to the work? Am I taking on too much or am I not doing enough? How am I fitting on the rest of the team? Am I spinning myself into a corner where I am not being a vocal part of the work. And so now I'm siloed and that's why I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to, or am I just making more out of this than I need to? And so we just sit and we just examine that. We talk it through. And normally I haven't had it yet where it was proven that they were an imposter. It's just about taking a beat. Because the team is still relatively new and the work is coming fast and furiously as we're updating processes, we're updating pages, we're updating websites, we're updating just the whole digital footprint of the company, there's a lot happening all at once. And so taking a beat to see, you know, what it actually is versus what we're imagining is super important. That was all good stuff. The parallels between education and work are apparent. We still are people with lives in and outside of work and there are financial constraints. There are personality conflicts. There is imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome. 
you know, I'm hearing like a whole suite of lessons, both for the institution or the organization, as well as the person. And it seems like for a person, what they can do is first, you have to build your support network before you need it, right? So like, you know who to turn to, you know, oh, I'm going to go talk to Rachel, you know, and then when you do that, it's about stepping back and putting things in perspective and like what's really going on here and then prioritizing, focusing, you know, is there too much on my plate? And then from the kind of institutional perspective, it seems like you have to get in that rhythm of that proactive route reach. Like you're, you know, I talk to a hundred people every quarter and then you have to like normalize getting help so that people can raise their hand if you don't spot them and seek right. them out. Some great lessons there. Yeah, it's very important, which is why I'm such a big advocate on onboarding the right way, which is to make sure that you set people up for our success from the start so that when they come to a place, because we will all come to a place, whether in the world of academia or in the world of working, you're going to come to a place where you will find yourself in crisis. And if you have the tools that you need at the beginning, it's less daunting when you feel in a panic to have a set of resources or a toolbox, a toolkit that you can open and pick something as opposed to starting raw from scratch and you're already in panic mode and then you just throw your hands up. So right. onboarding yeah. successfully looks like having a set of tools that clearly are defined that you can tap into so that when you get to a place of crisis, you aren't as lost as you think you could be. Yeah, having the tools and having the people before you need them seems critical a lot. Like, what are the other things, the other barriers for people like kind of successfully navigating crises that you see? You know, we've talked about like you didn't do the right onboarding, so people don't know where or how to get help or people aren't doing the proactive outreach, so they're not doing the noticing. What are the other challenges colleges and universities face or students face in kind of successfully navigating crises? So I would add building community to that list. And what that looks like are the services that are available and some of the programs that can be available. You look at a university, there are many, many types of programming that will help to build communities. So for example, there are the various clubs that students can join. Everyone is not a social butterfly, so everyone is not going to flock to name a type of engagement activity. Everyone's not going to do that, sure. So there have to be other avenues for those kinds of people. There are clubs that you can join or community activities that you can be a part of that don't require you to be so social. There's some that require like giving or volunteering that you can be quiet. <laughs> when you're volunteering, there are opportunities to be a part of something that makes a lot of noise. There could be sororities and fraternities and organizations that are part of your skill set. So I think about robotics or think about like the African-American club or the club for students who all like to read. There's book clubs. There are homework help 
groups, there are study groups, there are a ton of activities that require you to either be social or not be social. At the Institute of Design, for example, there was a social activity that was our international dinner. I think it's one of my more favorite activities that they have there at the Institute of Design. And it's the students coming together from their various cultures and backgrounds. And it's food. Food is a great way to get together and and become a part of community. And I think the Institute of Design does that better than I don't know where, but it does it very well. And the students come together and they sign up for providing food from their particular either country or culture. And not only do you get the food, but you get the opportunity to learn a bit about the place where they're from. There's music according to the different cultures. Oftentimes there are videos that they put together showing dance or music or living that go along with the food and the drink that's from there. And sometimes they have presentations that go along with the food that they're getting ready to serve. They have little cards that map out the descriptions. I'm just providing this elaborate example because it's an evening of stations upon stations of food and you get the culture and you've got music playing in the background. Some of them are live cooking demonstrations happening right there in the space. And even people who don't want to say much go there and they have an amazing time of learning. And it's a way to build community. And so I would advise someone to just tap into some of those things. There are activities, there are clubs, there's just maybe even attending a talk around a a specific subject. Colleges and universities are ripe with opportunities to go to a talk, go to a talk, not necessarily stay in your room. We're a little past that now. Go to a talk. You may learn something more than the topic. You may get to meet other people or be around other people. And if you start showing up at those things, when you're missing, somebody will care. Right. In the same way that the lean startup mantra is like, get out of the building, like go talk to customers. The student engagement mantra is like, get out of your room and go talk to people or not talk to people, just be with people. Yes. And I love that, that there's like a kind of a spectrum of things. And, you know, it's not all for super social extroverts, there are ways to get involved, you know, without saying a thing. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting, the community and engagement piece, it feels like crisis management is the reactive piece Mm -hmm. and the community and engagement is the proactive piece Yes, where that's how you're meeting people and you're learning about opportunities for and feeling like you're part of something so that you have the tools and the people to get you through the hard parts, get you through the crisis. Yes. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for a great discussion on navigating a crisis in higher ed and, you know, what you do during, but maybe even more importantly, what you do before to build that community and that sense of connection and engagement. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. This was wonderful. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. 
and check out elliotfelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book. 